Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench, everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS. Hackers are after your business data. I can help. I am Vi, the virtual intelligence assistant at Virtual Armor. Virtual Armor, partnered with Juniper Networks, provides cybersecurity services and end-to-end solutions to keep what's yours, yours. Defend yourself with managed firewall and managed SIM essential core services that are economical and efficient. Virtual Armor goes beyond just initial alerting to provide a thorough report on threats, vulnerabilities, and results. Let me help protect you. Contact me at JustAskVi. That's V-I dot com. And here we go. My opponent is against oil, guns, and God. I am the Democratic Party right now. 47 years, you've done nothing. Everything Americans value hangs in the balance. We have an obligation under the Constitution. To use every arrow in our quiver. This is the most important election in the history of our country. I believe that. This is Devious Motives with Brett Winterbull. I'm Brett Winterbull, and welcome. It's Devious Motives for October the 5th, 2020. That puts us 28 days away from the presidential election between Vice President Joe Biden and the President of the United States, the incumbent Donald Trump. Big news moving just in these last uh, few sort of uh, days and and, um, a little bit under a week is the uh, information that came out that the president has the covid he was uh, airlifted on Friday to the uh, to, to the Walter Reed Army Medical uh, Center, the Walter Reed Hospital in D.C. And over the course of the weekend, a lot of stuff is starting to come out. A lot of folks who have apparently been exposed to the coronavirus, apparently testing positive, including right here in North Carolina, uh, Tom Tillis uh, testing positive for that. Now we come to find out just a little bit before noon today, you had uh, the, the, the press secretary for the president, Kaylee McEnany, uh, testing positive as well. This is certainly uh, troubling, but we're at a crossroads here, and we have to be honest about these crossroads. And it's really up to you and up to me to figure out which direction we're going to go with this thing. Number one, we have been told uh, COVID for 99.9% of the people out there is is just basically on par with a bad uh, flu or a bad cold, right? That That only those people who have that on-ramp or or of uh, extremely old age are really vulnerable to death from the coronavirus. Now, this is interesting, right? Because the narrative from people who have wanted to see the economy get opened, uh, wanted to see bars and restaurants and sporting events happening as as we have seen them through our uh, through our uh, our lives uh, unfold, that's all been challenged now, right? Because when the president gets the COVID, when he gets the COVID-19, the coronavirus, now suddenly everything goes next level. Everything goes next level. This is an incredibly important 
development. He goes to Walter Reed. He is uh, uh, airlifted to Walter Reed on the helicopter. And, and in fact, uh, the, the, the losers, in my opinion, OK, this is my personal opinion over at SNL, couldn't resist but making a joke about President Trump uh, catching the COVID-19 and saying essentially that, well, the joke writes itself. Uh, one of the news anchors uh, declared uh, over there on SNL that it would be akin to uh, me lashing out at people who wear belts and then my pants suddenly fall down. Sure. OK, got it. Uh, requisite joke about uh, about the president doubting there'll be any kind of a requisite joke about uh, Joe Biden and his gaftastic nature. But let me go back to the important point here. And this is this is hugely important as we hear at devious motives, the cunning motives, all those sorts of things uh, are, are, are tracking all of these stories that are moving. Now, many of you are going to be saying to yourselves, Brett, how can you possibly cover this entire uh, election cycle in this way? No, we're going to cover the parts that I think are really remarkable and are interesting. In fact, coming up later in this uh, half hour, you're going to hear from Alam Bakari, who's going to give you information about Silicon Valley that you will not believe. I- I've played a little bit of it over on my radio show on News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. And um, uh, I got the full interview. We did uh, almost 15 minutes together here at, uh, at, at Devious Motives to talk about the role that um, uh, we are, are looking at for big tech, Google, Facebook, uh, the Silicon Valley Titans and the role they want to play in squashing you down, squashing you, the little voter down or molding you, the little voter with your concerns into the right possible mode, uh, into the right sort of mold that they want to control you with. And, and I'm telling you, you're going to want to share this with your friends. You're going to want to uh, spread the word on this interview. His brand new book is called Hashtag Deleted. And again, it's Alam Bakari. He's the senior tech correspondent over at Breitbart who's going to break down the nuances of what it is that Silicon Valley does. And remember, I always call it in my world, Silicon Valley, because that's really, quite frankly, uh, what they're what they're up to. They're, they're conning the American people into believing that their values are the right values and that we need to change. Um, two things that will come up in that conversation, by the way, critical race theory, critical race theory. And of course, also the discussion about. Uh, Machine-driven learning, so you can program machines, you can program the technology to avoid certain topics, platforms, those sorts of things, so that essentially what Silicon Valley is going to do is erect a virtual Berlin Wall. My word's not his. But they'll keep everybody in, getting the information they need to get, the BLM agenda, the, the climate change agenda, the, the, the higher taxes, agenda, all that stuff. That you'll be safely encased in the cement that is Silicon Valley. Those who want to campaign against it, who want to go after it, who want to fight the fight, well, you're going to find yourselves probably down in, at Tor and the Onion Browser uh, operating like you're some sort of an Iranian uh, freedom fighter trying to overturn the, the mullahs. So you're going to want to stick around for that. Let me go back to the COVID conversation, though. It's vitally important. What you've seen play out over the last couple of days, the show of support outside the um, the, the, the Walter Reed Hospital, where Trump supporters have, have essentially set up camp and are out there with their flags and their banners, and it's sort of an impromptu uh, rally that's taking place out there. You had the president go out yesterday for a drive-around. He went out there on Sunday to go do a drive-around and to, to wave at the folks, he caught a lot of grief for that uh, coming into today. Uh, a lot of grief uh, from folks who said, hey, wait wait a minute, Mr. President. You can't 
You can't go out of a hospital. You're getting you're getting remdesivir. You're getting all these different drugs. You're getting all these uh, 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 different things. And so here's here's the problem with all of this. The problem is he's still the president of the United States. He's now patient numero uno. And that's going to be the, the critical focus on so much of what it is that, that he's going to be talking about. But ladies and gentlemen, here we are two days away from the vice presidential uh, debate. We, we've got uh, coming up uh, Vice President Pence versus Senator Harris. It'll be taking place in the state of Utah. And they are going to be socially distant. They're not going to pull a Jamie Harrison, uh, Lindsey Graham thing. You saw Jamie Harrison uh, do something just, just so obvious in the South Carolina Senate debate. And here comes Jamie Harris erecting a six foot high plexiglass barrier around <laughs> around himself to protect himself from Lindsey Graham. It was it was actually kind of a, a humorous thing to see take place because you, you did hear right. You, you did hear that Lindsey Graham had tested negative on Friday before that Saturday debate for the COVID. But yeah, Jamie Harrison couldn't be too, he couldn't be too careful. He couldn't be uh, too careful or, uh, or, or anything uh, like that. But to come back to Kayleigh McEnany now testing positive, you've got the president battling his fight, wants to get out of there as soon as he can, you know, may get out of there sooner rather than later. But this represents with the vice presidential debate coming up an opportunity to yet again reset. And I know there are people who are going to say to me, Brett, what, what do you mean reset? What do you mean reset? He had a terrible debate against Biden. He was yelling. He was screaming. He was carrying on. Uh, the president has now come out and he's bragged, uh, as 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 you've heard, about the fact that he is now uh, uh, very aware of what COVID can do, what COVID means, all that sort of stuff. He has got a a, a new view on things. I think where he says, "Listen, I've experienced it. I lived with it." Uh, and and it's more than the book learning that those doctors are going to try to uh, hand off to you. But here's the attempt, the reset that I think can work well. If you have Vice President Pence getting ready to go into that debate against Senator Harris, this is going to be for all the uh, cookies on the shelf, because you know that Senator Harris is desperate to define herself as a vice presidential possible, comma, presidential candidate if she had to take over for uh, President Joe Biden if he were elected and Vice President Pence wants to be defined as, yes, the possible president if something should happen to President Trump or the likely successors, both of them looking forward to the next to the next election. And the fact is, the president has a chance here to use that vice presidential reset on Wednesday and a chance to spin COVID in a different direction. And here's what I think the president can do. I spoke about this earlier today uh, on, uh, on WBT's morning show with Bo Thompson. What the president can do is he can say, listen, I have been laid low by this coronavirus, by this COVID-19. And it's important for us to understand whether you are Biden-Harris or you are a senator or a congressperson or you are a potential Supreme Court nominee, or you are me as the president of the United States, it is important to remember where this came from. And he needs to reset because over the weekend, there was some very snarky stuff coming out of the Global Times, which is a, uh, a CCP, a Chinese Communist Party connected newspaper, who were kind of having a ha-ha at the president for having gotten the coronavirus and the COVID, almost as if, 
uh, to be parroting Jake Tapper and MSNBC's talking points saying, oh, look, you uh, you had your rallies. You were reckless. It didn't work earlier this morning on CNBC. Scott Gottlieb, who's for whatever reason held up as the gold standard, he ran the FDA. Uh, he's held up as the gold standard, though, on all things health related. Scott Gottlieb sat down for this interview with uh, with Joe Kernan, who challenged him. Joe Kernan kept saying to Scott Gottlieb uh, with, with punch after punch after punch. You want to shut down football? You want to shut down business? Do you want to change everything up? Do you not want to have us open? And Scott Gottlieb's comparison in response was to say, no, look at how the NBA did their job. Look at how they they had their bubble and you've had relatively few infections. And oh, by the way, there are fewer than a thousand uh, current infections taking place throughout Southeast Asia and up into China. And oh, by the way, I believe what the Chinese say about the coronavirus. Interesting to see he marries the NBA, lowest ratings in the history of the NBA with this finals between the Lakers and, of course, the uh, the, uh, the 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 Miami Heat. He, he marries that and the great response from the uh, from the NBA to communist China and how China has been effective at locking things down. You can do that in a totalitarian society. You can control things like that in a totalitarian society. You, you can lock people down, lock them in their houses, brick their doors up, whatever you want to do, because you don't have an ACLU. You don't have a CCLU. You don't have a, a Thailand CU, right? You, you don't have any of those countries. They can do whatever they want to do because they're not open, full, total democracies like we are in this country. Yes, I know we have a, a constitutional republic. Don't lose your mind. But the point is. These folks run around with all excited looks on their faces about COVID spreading. And it reminds me of the firebugs that get all jazzed up when the Santa Ana winds start blowing in the West. Oh, it's going to be something. Everything's going to burn. No, everything doesn't have to burn because I want to go back to the original point. We have been told by the health authorities that the overwhelming majority of people who will contract the COVID will continue to live their lives in the way they've basically lived their lives. But in the case of the president, we have to get hysterical because his blood oxygen is this number and uh, they were using this other thing on him and they're trying to save him this way and they're trying to do that. I get it. The man is of advanced years. But I also get that the guy did not really you know, party a lot. He, he tells you he, doesn't, he never really drank. He never drank. It wasn't something that he was into. I'm, I'm going to guess as a germaphobe, probably didn't do a bunch of drugs. Probably didn't live a, a fast and loose life. And I think you did an A-B comparison between him and former President Bill Clinton standing next to each other. You'll see who's got more mileage on those tires. This is an opportunity for the president to now resume the bully pulpit in a twofold fight with uh, Vice President Pence. He needs to refocus on China needs to be held to account for this. The reason why your businesses are shut, the reason why you've lost your livelihoods, the reason why you've lost your homes, the reason why you're dealing with drug addiction, alcoholism, mental illness is because what China released on the rest of the world. And there are people on TV who are more than happy to bum bus the Chai Coms, to bum bus the Chinese communist government and tell you that they do everything right and we do everything wrong. And that is a fundamental lie. Now, what the vice president can now do when he sits across the table from Senator Harris is say to her, are, are you are you on board with the Green New Deal? Are you on board with out uh, with offshoring jobs back to China? Are you on board with China being a member of the World Trade Organization? Are you on board with and get her to renounce these different policies that Vice President Biden has pushed? If Donald Trump goes back to the original recipe, which was America first, 
not white nationalism like people were trying to say last week, but American interests first and Americans' interests first. He could find himself in a very, very beneficial place. Who knows how this turns out, but we'll be documenting it over the next now almost 27 days of this election. I'm Brett Witterbull. Coming up next, we'll hear from Alam Bakari on Silicon Valley. It is the Devious Motives Podcast. You're listening to Devious Motives. You're listening to Devious Motives. Happy to welcome to the uh, podcast, the show as well on News Talk Love 10993 WBT. Alan Bakari, he is the uh, Breitbart News Senior Technology Correspondent, also the author of the brand new book, Hashtag Deleted, Big Tech's Battle to Erase the Trump Movement and Steal the Election. This is a super timely conversation. Welcome to the show, Alan Bakari. Hi, Brett. Thanks for the invite. It's, it's great to have you here. So here we are 28 days before the election. The question I have for you is, what's going to be the impact of big tech on this election? Are, are they looking at this as an opportunity to even the score from 2016 when, when things didn't go according to, uh, to Hoyle there over at uh, Google? You know, I've been covering this topic for uh, following this topic for five years uh, since I joined Breitbart News in 2015. It was right when they started their, uh, right when Breitbart started our uh, tech vertical uh, looking at this issue. And um, we were covering it, you know, when it was just like a glimmer on the horizon tech censorship when the internet was still sort of mostly open and free but it's just escalated so much in the past five years and so much of it has been uh, after the trump election so one of the things my facebook sources told me in the book is that uh, all their all of facebook's efforts against so-called misinformation and so-called hate speech and all the other made-up terms they've invented to punish their political opponents it all started right after Trump got elected. I, I, I do mean right after, like we're talking uh, almost uh, the week after the election, you saw a panic about so-called fake news emerge. Um, and they've just used these terms to expand the list of reasons they can use to ban people, to censor people, or even to covertly censor people. They can censor people without people knowing it. If you get banned from the platform, you know about it, but if you get downranked in the algorithm, if you get covertly suppressed, deplatforming you know, de- de- is is among the scariest things that I, I can imagine happening. And again, this book is hashtag deleted big tech's battle to erase the Trump movement and steal the election. It's in hardcover. Uh, but the idea that we will make you an unperson, this is right out of George Orwell's uh, a book. Uh, 1984. The, the, if they can make you an unperson, you don't exist. You don't show up in the searches. You don't do any of that. I mean, this is potentially set aside the, the politics end, but this is devastating for getting messaging platform out. Uh, devastating for businesses that fall on the wrong side of the political equation. I mean, this is this is straight crazy, uh, Alam. I describe it as digital totalitarianism because these algorithms are especially uh, especially post-pandemic. They control so much of our lives. They have such an influence over every aspect. They uh, determine whose political movement can gain momentum, whose messages can get through and reach voters. Uh, and as I said, even whose businesses are going to be successful. So many businesses are now completely dependent on Facebook or Google. And they have no legal protections, no recourse in the courts if they get unfairly 
deplatformed or suppressed. Um, I, the, the, the really tragic thing is that the internet was supposed to be this, you know, free and open platform where everyone has a voice for a brief moment in history. It was actually a really big advance for free. It was, uh, you know, all you needed was an internet connection and a laptop to reach a global audience. That was new in human history. That was a big step forward for freedom. But now it's completely flipped on its head. It's become more totalitarian than anything I've ever seen. You've been Even watching- the Soviets couldn't you know, dream of the, the kind of power that the tech companies have. You've been watching this for five years. We've been aware of it, obviously, for a, a, a certain amount of time. But we also know that the people that founded these platforms, do you think, to the extent that it can be known, I mean, I'm asking you to read somebody's mind, sort of from history but did they intend to did they intend to create this lockdown scenario this 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 walled city of information or did, did something come along the way to affect them i'm thinking of the, you know the founders of facebook the founders of of, of twitter the founders of uh, you know of of, of google etc were they always inclined towards totalitarianism or did something come in and influence them it was a process, I would say. And like, like I said, Breitbart was covering this uh, back in 2015 when I joined the company. And back then, you know, Trump was still just the primary candidate. No one thought he would win. But even then, you saw progressives, progressive elites in the media and uh, elsewhere in academia starting to get worried about uh, the way the Internet was going. They, they saw that, uh, you know, as it existed back then, a, a more or less even playing field was not very good for their narratives. They were... They're getting, you know, beaten on YouTube. They're getting uh, mocked in the comment sections and news websites. Uh, so they, they saw that the Internet allowed ordinary people to challenge their narratives, and that was making them nervous. And when you had Brexit, when you had the Trump victory, this sort of confirmed it for them, that it allowed the emergence of these popular movements they couldn't control that would come out of nowhere and, you know, give them a good something at the ballot box. Visiting with uh, Alan Bakari. Uh, he is uh, the the Breitbart News senior technology correspondent, the author of this dynamite new book, hashtag deleted big media's a uh, big big text battle. Sorry to erase the Trump movement and steal the election. We we look at these folks. We know what their orientation is. We've we've heard the stories of Dragon and China and and uh, Google creating special censoring uh, search engines for the Chinese for the PLA and the CCP. Uh, we know that Zuckerberg has a great affinity for China. He, these these tech titans all do. Is it pure dollars and cents, or is this is this ideologically driven that, that they that they admire what Xi Jinping and the CCP have done in China to keep an ordered society? What what do we what do we draw from this attraction that they have? I would say it's a mix of both. I wouldn't I wouldn't underestimate their ideology um, at all because you know we've seen leaked footage from. Uh, from Google, uh, published in Breitbart, showing their absolute dismay at the Trump election. There was no senior Google executive who was in favor of that. Uh, but China's, in, China's an interesting point. I often say Silicon Valley has its own social credit system, almost, because everything you post on social media, even every website you create or publish, is getting ranked by Silicon Valley's algorithms. This is exactly the way that China's social credit system works. And you don't, the thing is, you don't know your ranking, so you don't know... Um, you also don't know what goes into it. You're doing a down rank, you know, posting so-called fake news or so-called hate speech. And your hidden ranking determines where you're going to be in Google search, where you're going to be in Twitter and Facebook. So it's almost exactly like the social credit score. And it's also determined in part by very political 
criteria. So that's very similar to, to China, I think. And the other point I'd make is that you ask whether it's you know, profit, whether, whether it's ideology. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I'd say about that is if Silicon Valley companies wanted to maximize user choice, all they would have to do is make all of their filters on constitutionally protected speech opt in or opt out. So, you know, they want to filter fake news. They want to filter hate speech. Uh, they want to filter all manner of things. Uh, they want to filter obscenity. That's perfectly reasonable in the eyes of many people to keep platforms family friendly. But, you know, Google has had a safe search button for uh, since before I can even remember. And you can turn it on or off if you want to keep your Google search is family friendly. They don't have that for fake news. They don't have that for hate speech. They don't have that for any of the other political um, filters they've established over the past four years. They easily could, and it would actually be helpful for their uh, businesses because it'd be giving people more choice, but they choose not to because they value, I think, control over political discourse more than they value giving consumers choice. We know that. Ever in- Go ahead, please. Uh, yeah, just briefly one point. If there's, if there's one industry-wide standard we should push for, you know, in terms of amending Section 230, amending the regulation, it should be that if you want to be a platform, if you want to have those important legal immunities that platforms have, you've got to make all your filters opt-in or opt-out. What is the implication for the infrastructure of the election upcoming? We know about the mass mail-out ballots. That has created a lot of, of, of disagreement and and, and dissension in the country. Uh, but what about the, the, the role of, of technology hijacking our elections, messing with the voting uh, uh, boxes, that sort of stuff? What's your level of concern there, Alan? So the hacking of digital uh, voting is definitely an issue. Um, I think there's going to be, uh, it's probably not as much of an issue as mail-in uh, ballots. I think there's a, a bit more uh, vulnerable to fraud at the moment. Uh, it is interesting. We've 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 uh, seen stories over the past few years showing how Microsoft, in particular, wants to take essentially mm-hmm. take over voting and provide the voting software for uh, for all elections, not just in America but around the world. Uh, that's quite a enormous <laughs> amount of power for uh, one company to have. And one of the themes in in uh, in the book is that these companies don't just have their thumbs on the scale of democracy in America, but uh, in so many other countries around the world. They influence politics in Brazil, in Latin America, and Europe, uh, all around the world, it's a vast amount of power that's suddenly fallen into the hands of uh, a tiny group of very far left individuals in Silicon Valley, who, by the way, they all believe in critical race theory. They all believe right. in these crazy far left ideologies that, uh, that Donald Trump is trying to get out of the federal government. You know, these guys are, uh, you know, they think Robin DiAngelo and mm-hmm. Abraham Kendi are the leading intellectuals of America. It's crazy. Are, are there uh, are there particular individuals there in Silicon Valley that sort of represent the leadership class names that may not be known to the general public, but that are known inside the the wokeosphere for for lack of a better term? Uh, there's one particular in particularly infamous person who recently left Google called Meredith Whitaker, and uh, she's an interesting character because uh, she's a big proponent of what uh, what's called machine learning fairness. And the point of machine learning fairness is to bring the fields of sociology, feminism, and critical race theory together with computer science to ensure that uh, all the algorithms of the future, all of their assumptions, the way they recognize things like hate speech, the way they recognize other things that they're trained to recognize on the Internet, are 
determined by you know, these far-left people, by these far-left academics. Uh, and that's really terrifying when you consider that algorithms are going to influence you know, politics, business, <laughs> every field you can imagine. Well, we, we know that they have threatened. We've heard you know the threats of locking down social media the day after the election if the results are unclear, and you know they, they want to certainly uh, control that. Do you envision a world, uh, in, our, in our last uh, few moments here, uh, Alan Bakar, you've been so generous with your time with us today. Do you envision a world in which Americans uh, across the heartland, on the coasts, in the Mountain West, etc., we're going to be driven into Tor and the Onion browser, uh, similar to, to, to the Iranian uh, folks who want to be free in, in that Islamic Republic? Or is that, our, is that our future, that we're going to have to be driven into the underground, away from, from Google, Facebook, Twitter, Etc. I mean, it's, uh, it shows us where we're at, that we're even asking that question. I'll tell you, I'll leave you with one particularly terrifying quote. You know, I interview a lot of Silicon Valley sources, a lot of insiders in the book. But I also interview this one government source who, close, who follows all this stuff very closely. And, you know, you bring up Iran, you bring up the Middle East. Mm-hmm. He said, uh, before the rise of Brexit, before the rise of Trump, Western elites, the deep state, viewed Internet freedom as a good thing because it allowed them it was helpful to their efforts to um, regime change countries abroad that they didn't like to create instability to, uh, you know, promote uh, revolutionary movements and dissidents. But, he said, as soon as Brexit happened, as soon as Donald Trump happened, elites started to worry that, oh, no, <laughs> the, in- the free Internet is now going to be used to regime change us. So that was, that was, I think, probably the most terrifying quote in the book. Absolutely unbelievable. I'm hoping this is the first of many conversations with you, Alam. I, 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 I respect your work so much, and it's, it's just great to have you on the program today to talk about this, to open the eyes of, of the folks out there. Alam Bakari, senior, uh, senior correspondent for technology there over at, uh, at Breitbart, uh, does amazing work. He's uncovering stuff that people don't want you to know, and you need to get his brand-new book, Hashtag Deleted. Thanks so much for coming by. Thanks, Brett. Thanks, yeah. You're listening to Devious Motives.